listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. I'm Kate Pierce-Nims, NYSEC's Multimedia Specialist, and I'm here with Ryan Gregoire, our Legislative Director, and Dave Lucas, Director of Finance and Intergovernmental Affairs. We're going to discuss key priorities for the year ahead here at the start of the 2024 State Legislative Session. Thank you both for being here today and highlighting the County Legislative Program today. Thanks, Kate. It's hard to believe it's uh, January and we're back in the studio. Yeah, thanks for having us here. So I think, you know, just to get started here, Dave, we, of course, have released our 2024 legislative program, which for our listeners is up on the website on NYSAC.org, right on the front page. And there are several key priorities, uh, some of which may look familiar to folks, Um But I wanted to start off by talking with you, Dave, about uh, kind of our top priority, which is figuring out a way to receive some of the um, reconciliation funds from the EFMAP savings that should have accrued to counties. This was a big issue of ours last year. We're trying to take another swing at the apple uh, this year. What, What do we know right now? What are... What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, Ryan, th- this is a big issue for counties. It uh, involves hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in, in unreconciled funds. And we've been talking about this for almost seven years now. Right. Um, and we've not made much progress with the legislature or the governor's office in getting this uh, reconciled. Um, and last year, uh, a budget... It wasn't a budget action. It was an administrative action taken by the governor to basically intercept the ACA EF map, 100% of it, going forward. Right. So that's a big hit for counties in New York City. It's over $650 million or approximately that much. So we're talking about, on a recurring basis, um, the $600 million that we lost. In addition, there were amounts of funds that were withheld in years past that were promised to be passed through at some point uh, once things were reconciled with the federal government uh, about actual costs and things like that. Yeah. And then, you know, with over the last year or two, the state said, well, we changed our policy and uh, we don't think we owe you any of that money anymore. How much uh, are we talking, Dave? Uh, I, I think given all the years that are outstanding, there was four years that we had FOIL requests on that ended in 2020. We have three more years we've added on to that. I, I would say a couple billion dollars potentially between... The Affordable Care Act EF map, which has been around since 2013, and then we have the COVID F map, which ran from 2020 and just expired a few days ago at the end of 2023. So between those two pots, <clears throat> I think it's a couple billion dollars of unreconciled funds that we need to uh, figure out. Okay, so we know the governor has a four and a half billion dollar deficit staring her in the face right now. Uh, we know her budget's going to come out mid-January. Somehow they're going to close that gap, you know, yet to be determined. If we are owed a couple billion dollars in reconciliation FMAP payments, we know they're not going to cut us a blank check. So what are we, what are we thinking? What are we proposing this year? I think part of the, uh, the idea would be is to figure out a way to spread the payments over multiple years, potentially two to three um, and also, if we have to limit how we use it in some way, can we get a win for the legislature and the governor that we would spend it on something that they want to achieve as well? Mm. Um, whether Good it's idea. a public safety initiative or 
uh, affordable housing and in that space there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in housing between emergency shelter and homeless affordability workforce housing there's a huge economic uh, development piece to that yes there is and it, and i think it would be a win-win win for everybody uh including including the taxpayers to have an extra pot of money going towards meeting these broad statewide goals on some of these top issues that we're all facing so we're you know we're trying that idea we've you know we've had some discussions with the executive and um, they're open to the idea uh, but as we always know around budget time it's all about the dollar amount that can be set aside right so there's there so, is a lot of money in the housing space already committed over multiple years yeah um, so we're almost saying just kind of retarget that towards counties. Uh, counties so we can get the the money into the system faster so that makes sense um, and, and I and I think that's a strategic path forward on that component what about um, an issue that popped up at the very end of session last year, which is uh, proposals trying to deal with the in-rem tax foreclosure process in compl in, and complying with the Tyler Hennepin decision out of the Supreme Court, which occurred on, I think it was May 25th of last yeah, year. It was the end of May. Yeah, so uh, wh what are we doing here, Dave, with the in-rem tax foreclosure process and, and ensuring that counties have the ability to continue to move forward with uh, sales and, and mm -hmm. auctions, property auction sales. Yeah, I mean, to bring folks up to speed if they haven't heard yet, um, because it was so late in the session, and it's a very complicated issue, uh, when you really think about this, it's a bunch of lawyers in a room together with a judge deciding how this is all going to work. It's not always an easy fix, and it's a, it's a complicated section of law. Um, they kind of knew they weren't going to have time to rewrite um, or even do a modest revision to the legislation that was that's already in place, the, the, the statutory text we have. So they, they did something short-term. It was a, something we supported. It was a, a temporary moratorium, and after a certain date, we would just hold off on foreclosures, or if we were moving forward, we would... Uh, put any surplus funds aside for the prior owner, which we have to do anyhow because the federal government uh, requires it now with the Supreme Court decision. That and the bill, governor vetoed the bill? Yeah, the governor vetoed the bill last week. Yeah. So we're at the end of the year, which really doesn't matter because the new session's starting up and the governor wants to work with us and the legislature to come up with a, a new proposal. Um, so we're sharing our ideas with them. And I think... We've really been in the same place since the governor introduced this concept in her budget last year is counties need some liability protections. Um, when we give a surplus funds back, it has to be accepted if we're following proper procedures and people can't keep coming back to us saying, well, you know, if I sold my house now, I could get more in the market for it. I mean, we, you know, at a point in time, it's, it is what it's worth and that's, you have to accept that. So we sure. want to have some liability protections there. There's some other liability protections we have issues with on the federal side related to bankruptcy, yep. which could strand, string this process out for seven to eight years uh, in a worst-case scenario, and we would be liable that entire period if someone came back um, with the funds long given away. Um, so there's areas there. We do lose at least $100 million a year in this process because we're holding all these other jurisdictions harmless, harmless for yes. their property taxes, you know, right. school districts, towns, and in some cases uh, we're doing it for villages as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we need some help, financial help from the state. We need to want to make sure we get something in there. And we want to make sure that the, 
the Supreme Court opened the door and said basically a, a county or a tax foreclosing agent can recoup some of those administrative expenses um, as long as they're reasonable. So we need some guidance from the state legislature in this new legislation that uh, puts some parameters around what are appropriate legislative costs. And to us, it's, you know, there's a lot of process, you know, a lot of uh, background checks. You have to do deed checks and things like that and title searches. And those are expensive little processes when you're doing potentially thousands of them in, in a, in a medium-sized county every year. Yeah. Um, and then there's litigation involved. There's usually attorney's fees and lawyers that need to be addressed. There's the actual sale of the process. You have to advertise the property, it's all that stuff. The auctioneer. We need to get some of that back. Um, yeah. And then there's other lien holders that need to be addressed. We don't want to be solving all the lien holders. We want to let a court do that. Sure. Um, we'll process the paperwork for everybody. Um, but at the end of the day, it really needs to be, a, I think, a court we don't process. do that now. We don't so do that now. So it really doesn't matter. We're trying to avoid getting extra staff. Yeah. We don't want a lot of extraneous things in this either. We want to satisfy the Tyler Hennepin decision, right. the, giving the surplus back. We want to. We don't want to include new provisions that, what well, the way we would say it is, it, it weakens the tax collection process by sure. allowing certain groups to have to never be foreclosed on, which encourages misbehavior on some parts. Absolutely. Um, not deliberate all the time, but there's going to be people that abuse that process. We, we don't want to weaken the tax collection process because it's semi-voluntary now. Yeah. So um, and every time this happens when someone doesn't pay their property taxes, the rest of the property taxpayers have to pay it anyhow. Absolutely. Because it gets re-levied the next year because those services still have to be provided. It's already regressive, and it just yeah. makes the process even more regressive. Yeah. So those are let some me, of the things we're looking for. Let me ask you this. I, I think one big question on county officials' minds with this um, issue is timing, Dave. Yeah. Are we going to see something in the governor's budget? Are we going to see action earlier on in session? And I ask that because uh, a lot of counties, or well, some counties, are being faced with lawsuits right now. Yeah. Um, and, and they're looking for answers from the state of New York as to how to go forward. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the governor puts something in the budget, and if she doesn't, she could introduce a separate program bill, which sure. could be operated on, uh, could be addressed quicker. Yep. Because it doesn't have to pass on April 1st with the budget. It could be done sooner if there's an agreement. Absolutely. So they could do it two separate ways. Uh, something we've seen in the past, too, is the legislature has been pulling stuff out of the budget. Yeah. If it doesn't have a direct financial plan impact, to say, well, we'll address it on our own. Separately. Yeah, they don't like doing policy in the budget. Yeah, so this is, it does have budget implications because we do think the state needs to put up some money. But to keep this process moving forward, they could act sooner and maybe a program bill is the way the governor's going to go. But I definitely think we're going to see something from the governor's office, either in the budget or through a separate program bill. Okay, that's good news. A um, couple other big issues here that I just wanted to highlight real quick for our members that we're going to be pushing for. You know, New York State is one of only a couple states left in the country that diverts 911 uh, surcharge revenue to the state's general fund. Most states in the country collect the surcharge fee revenue that you pay for on your cell phone bill or at the point of sale or through your landline bill with a, uh, a provider, a telecom provider. They collect that and then they send it either back to the counties or reinvest it in public safety, 911 communications. New York State diverts the vast majority of those funds and keeps it for themselves. 
there's a couple of bills that we have uh, working in the legislature right now that would help address some of the concerns that counties have uh, with implementing next generation 911 communications. So we're hoping to see some relief there. These are both budget related bills. If we were to see anything, it would have to be either um, in the executive's proposal or you know, hopefully we'll see something in uh, both chambers, one house budget bills, which will come out uh, sometime in middle of March. Um, there's another bill that has some ability here to actually move through this session, something that we've been pushing for for a number of years now, which is the authorization to collect sales tax on gig economy industries. And think of your vacation rental property companies, Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, those kind of groups. Right now, if you uh, book a stay through Airbnb, you don't have to pay, and neither does the platform, Airbnb. Nobody pays sales tax on that stay. But if you go and book a stay at a hotel, you, you as a consumer are paying sales tax. It's right on your bill. So this would be um, a piece of legislation that would provide new revenue to counties, new revenue to the state of New York, and it would also level the playing field with other tourism providers. So yeah, this is this is a, a good bill. You know, we updated the the regular retail sales sales tax collection several years ago by another Supreme Court decision came down, which was in our favor. Um, that basically said we need to collect sales tax on these internet based transactions from out of state. Which for can you imagine if we didn't do that? Almost twenty years, yes. Th yeah. That we didn't do that, which really hurt the brick and mortar stores and the I, part of the concept there was well let's level the playing field so vendors in and outside of new york are at least have the same starting point from a taxing perspective and how they can price their products so that's a similar theory here very and, similar and it, it worked well on the internet side everybody's fine internet sales you know it didn't cut down on internet sales and during covid it was you know even more it was a important. lifeline yeah for people yeah. so and it worked out well, and I think the same thing can happen here again. Um, but it would be a nice revenue boost for the counties, and it would even out the competition in that marketplace. And the state of New York, right? We just we started this podcast talking about how the governor, uh, you know, has a four and a half billion dollar deficit to address. This could be, you know, a small revenue line mm -hmm. to help address that issue. You know, and then the last piece of. Um, and this is really a legislative package that I wanted to talk about, was addressing the EMS crisis, emergency medical services. It's on just about every county legislative body's mind right now. How do we help our EMS providers? Right now in New York State, EMS is not deemed an essential service, which means it's a voluntary program. There's no requirement to have an EMS provider in your jurisdiction. And what we've seen is, you know, historically it has never been an issue because EMS is provided by volunteers or for-profit entities that were able to make ends meet. Well, that system is collapsing across the state and frankly across the country. Volunteerism is way down uh, reimbursement for service delivery is significantly down. Um, and we have a package to help 
uh, stabilize, really, it's stabilizing our EMS system, um, while also trying to create financial pathways that don't end up on the property tax payer roll, uh, where counties aren't being forced to raise property taxes to address the EMS crisis. Whether or not we see any of these bills move to be determined, um, but this is a, a package and a coalition is behind this package of bills uh, to help address the EMS crisis. It's difficult because, you know, historically counties haven't been, um, well, certainly we're not required to, but we haven't really had too much involvement in the EMS sphere. And we've seen some counties have to go out and spend millions of dollars out of their property tax levy to provide EMS services because there's just a lack of service across their county. We need the state to step in here and we need them to take some fiscal responsibility, some policy responsibility. There needs to be updates to the regulations. Um, and that's really what we're looking for. Yeah. It, I just wanted to, to highlight something you said about it being a nationwide problem. It truly is. I, I just got off a call with uh, our counterparts at NACO. Mm -hmm. um, on, uh, I sit on the health steering committee uh, for that group, and one of the resolutions we're going to deal with this year at our the legislative conference for them uh, in Washington is the EMS crisis. And one of the issues they want to get to is, especially in rural areas and even in urban areas, but it, it's been a real problem for me is reimbursement or payment for the situation where the, the EMT or the EMS team goes out to a house yeah. and they provide service, medical you know needs, they address it, but they don't have to transport the patient to a hospital. Yeah, they or don't get paid right now. They don't that. get paid for that, and Medicaid won't pay for that. If you take the person to the hospital then and they get more treatment, the hospital gets paid yeah. through Medicaid, right. but the, the ambulatory service gets nothing. Right. Right. From that time of getting to the house and providing service, which could be a 20-minute drive or more sure. to get to some of these hospitals, especially in rural areas, uh, what, what NACO wants to look at is what is, the, what is the capability of Medicaid to be reimbursed in some of those situations. And every little bit of reimbursement helps here. I think in New York, didn't we get a law passed where insurance has to pay the, the provider group directly? Directly. That's right, Dave. So that was a big win last year. Uh, we were we helped champion this bill through the process to require insurance and Medicaid to directly reimburse the provider rather than cutting a check to the uh, recipient of service and then asking them to remit that to the provider. In that process, you lose a lot of yeah. uh, you lose a lot of revenue. So this now requires them to uh, pay the provider directly. Um, it's a good step in the right direction, but I agree with you. It's a nationwide problem. Uh, we need to do something to address this crisis. And there's a whole series of legislation out there, um, and we're looking for the legislature to move on this. So that's a little bit of a preview of what to expect uh, from the Association of Counties this year. Of course, you know, we have a 20-page legislative program with a whole bunch of uh, policy requests, budget requests, in all sorts of different areas. Again, I encourage you visit our website, nysac.org. The LEDGE program is right on the homepage. You can download it. You can talk to your members of your state delegation. Uh, we encourage you to do so. And if you have questions or if you don't understand something, if you 
have other issues that are coming up that you need to have addressed, bring it to our attention at NISAC and, you know, we can put that through the resolution process and uh, incorporate that into part of our standing policy document. Yeah, Ryan's right about uh, checking on the website for all the other issues uh, that we deal with. We encourage everybody to uh, participate in the resolutions process by coming to the NISAC Legislative Conference at the end of February, uh, where we will discuss a lot of these issues uh, in the standing committee. Yeah, and if you're not a member of a standing committee, you can sign up on our website, um, and we're always looking for new members. So uh, again, thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope this has been informative for you. And uh, we very much look forward to working with all of you in the coming year to advance the priorities of county governments. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in for more county government-focused conversations and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.